You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Nandi Mazingo, the chairperson of the Ova Herero Genocide Foundation from Namibia. Political Periscope. I think in Poland only a bunch of people ever heard maybe some specialists of uh, the genocide of Ova Herero people. Can you explain a bit, tell something? Yes, um, the genocide of Ova Herero and Nama people took place uh, between 1904 and 1907. So it is the first genocide of the 20th century. And like many parts of the world, the Germans went to, to hunt out for land uh, so that they can settle their populations there because they had a crisis. Uh, German cities were overflowing. Uh, so they went out around the world to look for colonies and specifically spaces where they can relocate German settlers to uh, as a second home away from Germany. In Africa, Germany had about four or five colonies, Namibia, present-day Namibia, it used to be called Southwest Africa, and when they took over, they changed it to German Southwest Africa. Uh, there was Togo, there was Cameroons, there was Tanzania. But the territory that is today Namibia, which then was German Southwest Africa, was really uh, the, the, the crown in their, in their colonies' um, uh, setting. It is Namibia that they chose because of its weather, you know, they, it's not like in the tropical of the Cameroons where people could get diseases and so forth. So they found the, the, the climatic condition in Namibia uh, to be hospitable, to be one where they can relocate a population to. Uh, unfortunately, in that space, the Ovaherero and Nama people have made it uh, their home for, for, for more than a thousand years. And uh, so they are the people who had to be killed to give way for the Germans actually to settle there. And that is why after settling there for a while, I mean, after coming in, of course, it was not an easy coming in where they said, hello, can we live amongst you? It was, uh, you know, some, some tactics of cheating people out of their land, raping Herero women, you know, coming with, uh, with fake deals. Uh, like you would, they would come in like uh, merchandise traders, people who are selling goods, and uh, you'll be given these goods on credit. And then later on, if you want to pay for, 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 if you want to settle your debt, you'll be told, no, it cannot be paid in money. It has to be paid in land or your cattle. You know, this went on for a while. And uh, our people got to a point where they could not uh, take this anymore. And so they decided to, to take up arms, to rebel, to resist. And of course, that genocide and the whole happenings around it is very much linked to what would take place later on in, in Nazi Germany. The concentration camps, the, the beheading of people, cutting of people's heads to, to experiment on them, to check that these people are actually inferior to, to, to the wide Aryan race. All of these things started in Namibia. I'm sitting in Warsaw, Poland, and it is in Poland where we have Auschwitz, you know, the death camp. That idea was experimented in Namibia. There was a place called Shark Island where prisoners, were, prisoners of war were rounded up 
and uh, in the, because it's an island and then they would be underfed they would be worked to death and then those who are weak to, to walk or do anything they would just be dumped into the, the ocean to turn them into food for, for, for shark fish so that is what happened there and, and also the glaring similarities and the link between that uh, between that genocide and, and, and the third Reich, the crimes of the Nazi for instance the first Men who was dispatched to German Southwest Africa as a colony of 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 of, of Germany after the the Berlin Conference of 1884 in 1885. Uh, his name was Henry Gering. Henry Gering is the father of Hermann Gering, who was the right hand man of Hitler, and so many other men of his generation actually took part in the in the campaigns for killing over Herero people and driving them off the land. Uh, that they have known as, as their home for, for, for a very long time, simply because the Germans, as educated by many racist scholars like uh, geographers Friedrich Ratzel and many others who argued that uh, Germany had a right to go and find this Lobensraum or the idea of a living space for, you know, for, 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 for the supreme Aryan, Aryan race. Um, uh, but really, to come back to the history, in 1904, people took up arms uh, that was the Hereros, uh, and uh, they scored some victories. Of course, they were very specific during that war to say women and children should not even be touched. They had a business with uh, the German men who were taking their land, who were raping their women and stealing their cattle and all of this. Uh, so, and, and, and after a while, they thought they had really sent the message to the Germans that what they are doing is not, is not, is not tolerable. Uh, in the meanwhile, they thought, you know, as wars were fought, were fought during that time, you fight and you move on, you make truth, you move on. What they did not know is that the Germans were actually reinforcing week after week. There was a ship docking at the port of Swakopmund, bringing in German men. There was a, an intense campaign in Germany against the Herero people to say they are bloodthirsty people who had killed and murdered German women and children, all lies fabricated to, to really, you know, create a hype around this thing and recruit many German young boys, you know, to go to Southwest Africa and kill over Hereros. And at that point, they had also withdrawn the German commander, uh, Theodor Ludwig, and they had replaced him with a man who was known for brutalities, who had participated in the quelling of the China boxing revolution but also a revolution uh, a rebellion that had taken place in east africa in the german colonial holdings of tanzania and and and, and zanzibar then known as tanganyika uh, so uh, that man is, is uh, general lothar von troda and he came to namibia to kill over herero people he came already armed with an extermination order which had been sanctioned by the Kaiser, uh, the, 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 the Kaiser Wilhelm, the, the, the ruler of Germany, uh, to kill Hereros and to actually banish or to expel those who survive out of what they called German land. So that is what they did in 1904 on the 2nd of October. The first extermination order against the Herero, which was actually the first time the intention to kill a whole people was committed to paper. Ever before that moment, uh, different rulers, however ruthless and whatever they were and, and crazy in their ideas, they had never committed that to paper. But Lothar von Troda was the first man to write it down to say, my intention is to destroy the whole Herero nation and to 
expel those who survive, even children and women, everything was to be shot dead. The idea is really to kill all of these people and take all their land and cattle because in Southern Africa, Obaherero would be your version of the Maasai in East Africa because we are cattle herders. Uh, you know, it's, it's just our pride and, and means of substance is what we live off. Our cattle is really the center of Obaherero life. So in 1904, uh, that extermination order was issued. Hereros were pursued, driven into the dry Kalahari sands, which is a desert that runs into Botswana. Uh, the Germans would sit guard at, at water wells to make sure that Hereros who have taken refuge in the field would not come and drink water from those wells. They would poison the wells. Uh, and, and so... 80% of Ovaherero were actually destroyed of the Ovaherero nation. 80%, which is 80,000 out of 100,000 people strong at that time, were killed. Uh, watching and observing from a bit of a distance what was happening to their northern neighbors, the Nama people also decided, because they knew it was an open secret, and the Germans were saying it to everybody that once they are done with the Hereros, they would also have to wipe out the Namas because... It was the adjacent land to the land of the Hereros. Uh, so the Namas knew that, and uh, they also took up arms in, in October 1904. Unfortunately, they could not have... They, they didn't do it at a time where they would have formed a formidable front against the Germans. By the time they did it, the Hereros had already been militarily uh, neutralized. They had already been killed. And uh, so when that happened... Uh, the Germans also issued an extermination order against the Namas uh, on the 25th of April 1905. And uh, But the Namas, of course, they were savvy in uh, guerrilla warfare, and so they could hold out the Germans for about three more years to 1907. The Germans could not really uh, declare victory over them because the Namas would hit and run, you know, disrupt their supplies, their reinforcements, hit their military installations and so forth. And so that, that took a while and until 1907 with the conniving of the church, the missionaries, they were the people who were recruited to go out into the field and find our people who had taken refuge, who were staying away from these Germans to come in to the cities on the pretext on the premise of a lie that the Kaiser had issued a pattern against. I mean, they were forgiven. They could come back. Uh, but on arrival into all this, the, 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 the missionaries uh, had holding cells or whatever this way where the people would be kept given good food. Initially, you'll be given good food so that you can go back into the field and tell others to also come home. And it is once the missionaries were convinced that you have now amassed in good numbers, then they will give a signal to the troopers to come and collect you. And on collection, you were not taken back to your house, but rather you were taken to concentration camps. And it is in those concentration camps, because at this point the Germans had realized that the idea of extermination was impossible. You know, you, you just can't kill all people, also many people who are in their own space that you don't really know so well. They, they, they were just... It's just not possible. But they also realized that they needed labor for the colonial economy. So then the idea was to separate those whom they deemed as workable from those whom they deemed as unworkable. Those who were deemed as unworkable had to be taken into those camps and really to be starved to death because they were of no use to the colonial economy. But those who were deemed workable, largely the heroes who are of a, of a larger physique, 
they had to be whacked really like to uh, work in the factories or whatever you know the industries the Germans were setting up but the numbers who are generally a petite people like of a smaller physique they had to be kept in the camps and to be understaffed I mean under under fat and undernourished so that uh, nature would take its course uh, and, and there were about four or so concentration camps that were ran in the central of the country but there was a special one that initially started off as a camp of, of a herder of people who were taken to the southern part deep into a Nama area to work on a on a on a railway line but soon that camp was actually turned into what is now known as the first death camp of the Germans in the 20th century. Uh, and it is on that camp where many Herero and Nama lives were lost. People were just, it is there where also those who were dying on a daily basis, 100, 200 of them, uh, heads would just be shipped off to Europe to be apparently experimented on. Medical centers would just file in to say, look, we need heads to study what, what, what. These guys would say, no problem. We have many of them. They would just keep skipping, I mean, shipping them. I'm sorry, and, 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 and it, is, it is the wives, it is the children of those who have died who had, who had to sit there and, and take off the hair, boil these heads, take off the skin and package these, you know, these cars of their, of their family members for these pseudo scientific experiments that were to be carried out, you know, in, here in Europe. And those cars continue to sit here in Europe. Have Germany ever recognize the genocide um, did they even say sorry uh, not speaking about some reparations no Germany continues to play games around these things it it of course it was a condition that Germany comes to terms with uh, its its racist genocidal and brutal past for it to be admitted into the club of civilized nations it was a condition post the 1945 you know whole mess of the hitler regime of the third Reich. so and since then they have built this image of a modern tolerant moral authority you know country that does not invest in in, in military does not believe in militarism you know that is so tolerant of all things extreme and uh but that is really just a charade. It's, it's a lie. Because they have, yes, recognized the crimes of the Third Reich. They had gone to some extent to make right uh, with the crimes of that era insofar as our Jewish brothers and sisters are concerned. But they continue to deny our crimes. They, in fact, in a process wherein they deliberately chose to avoid talking direct to us, but talking to us through the proxy through the Namibian government which I'm sure through their own intelligence knows is not is not a government that is sourced from people from our communities because of the of the genocide and now you know Namibia being a democracy and so being a, a game of numbers we are an insignificant minority and other groupings are now the majority and so they are controlling the state they are in government the Germans knew very well that those who were in government couldn't care less about our struggle. So, but in the in the argument, 
of state sovereignty they are talking to the namibian government and of course recently there was a after seven years of negotiation between the two governments uh, there was a an understanding that was initialized and in that understanding uh, germany uh, has said and this is what is fooling those who don't read well and know the language proper uh, germany have said they now recognize that the events of that time is a genocide from today's perspective. Now, those who don't read the language very well would say Germany has now finally admitted guilt. No, it hasn't. What Germany says, not only in that text, but also in papers that they had filed in the courts, because we had filed a lawsuit in America, we are now, as I speak to you, also having a case in Namibia, in the Namibian courts against the Namibian government uh, for having excluded us from talks that essentially are about us, or primarily not essentially are about us. Uh, Germany says, at the time of committing those atrocities, we were savages. We were not protected by any civilized or any law that protects civilized nations because this was at the turn of the last century. But they are saying now because of numerous uh, international instruments that have come into being, we have assumed uh, civilized rights. We are now people that must be protected by these instruments. Therefore, if you look at those events from today's perspectives, they can be termed a genocide, but at the time of commissioning it and executing it, it was not a genocide. What does that say? It says I'm not guilty, because at the time of doing it, there was no law that forbade me from doing it. But they are lying also, we know. Because, for instance, the 19, I mean, the 1884 Berlin Conference and the 1900 agreement of that conference it forbade all new colonial powers from mistreating the natives their responsibility was that they go into these colonies and they look after those natives these are some of the languages themselves that they built into that so we germany has not they have not spoken to us directly we know that in 1904 in 2004 at the at the occasion of the of the centenary commemoration of the genocide uh, there was a German Minister of Economic Cooperation, uh, a certain Madame Heidemary Zolok, or something like that. She graced our occasion with her presence, and uh, I think she got a bit just too weak, and she broke down and started crying and offered an apology, a heartfelt apology. And we thought, here we are. We have arrived at the moment. But as soon as she touched down in Germany, her apology was disowned. It was said it was her own madness and she offered that in her own uh, in her own capacity and that frankly was the last we have we had of her that really signaled the end of her political career because the germans want to present it, it's the whole thing it's a fake thing to show the world or to look like you are doing something yet you are not doing anything because they know that if you admit guilt if you admit guilt to the crime of genocide there is already a defined penalty for genocide and genocide essentially, yes, it is a construct that has political meanings, that has moral meaning, but essentially, genocide is a legal construct. It is a legal, it's a crime. So if you are guilty of a crime, there is already a defined penalty in law, and that penalty is reparation. It's not negotiable. And that is why Germany is always running around and avoiding admitting guilt avoiding talking to genocide avoiding talking to reparation and saying their discussion with us is only in political and moral terms is what they can offer and that kind of thing you know and that's what your foundation is 
doing. It's trying to get Germans to admit the genocide and to pay reparations. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have had a concerted campaign over many years. Uh, in, around, of course, we filed lawsuits. Some would say our lawsuits, for instance, those that we filed in America, uh, they would say they didn't yield anything. But we say those lawsuits, each one of them actually served its purpose because they rose the profile of this story. Not very many people knew. Germany itself got embarrassed because so many people started talking about this because they had created this fake image again of a nation that has come to terms with its history. People began asking questions. Germany's image globally took a dent and they couldn't afford that that is why they offered to talk but still this talking had to be offered to somebody else to speak on our behalf so what we have done around 2006 we have gone to our own parliament uh, we have asked our parliament to adopt a position uh, a motion that says Number one, what, Germ Germ what Germany has done is a genocide and so there must be work done. The Namibian state must work towards demanding or extracting that admission from Germany. Secondly, that Germany must also pay reparation to us, you know, as victims of genocide, which is a crime against humanity. There are many instruments, the UN Convention on the Prevention and the Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. They do that. So, um, of course, Germany now with the connivance of our own government which in our view really just wants money out of this thing not really real justice for us uh, you know they, they've been avoiding that they've now now there is, an, uh, there is an agreement that is just talking of projects to be funded through the government which of course we have rejected so our work as a foundation is to raise awareness around this issue because we know that especially right here in Europe not very many people know about our history so our work is about raising that awareness specifically in Germany because we believe that it is the German populace who has the leverage to be able to change the trajectory of their own government because they are the voters you know if they can hold their government to, 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 to account if I can talk to a young child in school somewhere maybe when that child grows up and becomes a policymaker he will see things differently you know, so it is, it is on such small things that we are pinning our hope. We are raising awareness. We are doing advocacy work amongst politicians. But we are also advising our leadership on our litigation efforts. You know, because we are fighting on many fronts. We are talking to the United Nations, for instance. Recently, there is a report, a damning report that was released by ADU and reporters specialized in different areas of intervention from women's rights to uh, the participation of indigenous people in processes that are aimed at, at redressing, uh, you know, historical wrongs. All, all of those things, you know, they, we, are, we are talking about all of those things and we are trying to make sure that Germany at one point just does, the, they just have to do the right thing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so 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 it is. It is, it is the, the UN rapporteurs, for instance, they have come back to talk about the wrongs. I mean, or the violation of our rights. All of these things. These are all work of us as technical people advising our leadership. You know, but we believe that even though the Germans are refusing to listen today, more than ten years ago we were told they will never come to the court. They did. More than ten years ago we were told they will never talk. They are talking. You know, even though they are talking to the wrong person. So we see these little steps as progress in a long-haul struggle that we are prepared to stay at.
And because we believe we are on the right side of history, we are on the right side of the law, of justice and truth, we will never, never relent on this. One more question that I have to ask. Because we have different perspectives from Europe, from Africa, from African countries, what do you think and what is thought in Namibia uh, about the war of Russia against Ukraine? Wow. <laughs> It's the first time I'm asked that question. The war of Russia, you see, look, first, I think I told you, or maybe I told somebody else, I'm a student of politics myself and trained at very advanced levels, levels in politics and I understand the geopolitics very well. Uh, you see, it's, 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 it's really a complex thing. For Russia, they see Ukraine as a part of their country. These are all Slavic people, including here, right? Uh, so they see the, the, the increasing encroachment of NATO on their, on their, on their border as, as, a, as a provocation. That said, I am, I am convinced that there is no justification for aggression. I believe all people, and this is why in Namibia, for instance, we are saying we have a government. We recognize that there is a government in Windhoek. But as Democrats, we believe that the people remains the sovereigns. It is the people who are the ultimate or the final arbiters of their future. They must decide where they want it. So in Namibia, for instance, we're saying, yes, we, we voted you into government, but you never asked to speak for, to us or for us on the question of genocide. Why do you want to impose yourself? This is, why we are tell, this is what we're telling the government in Windhoek to say. They have no right, even though they are a Namibian government, they have no right to speak for us on the question of genocide and reparation because it was never part of their political program when they ran for election. If they want that, they must come and ask for a mandate, run a referendum. So in the same argument, if Russia feels that the people of Ukraine are a part of them, which is also, in my view, a medieval argument, because this is a country. I mean, if it was your province and people want to secede, run a referendum, a fair referendum that asks them where they want to belong. Now, if it's another country to just invade another country on the basis that it should not have existed in the, in the first place, I think that is gross violation. And, and so now the West, obviously, them having a beef with Russia... Uh, because they are, uh, of course, they can all claim to be defenders of democracy, but some of them are not really doing very well with democracies in their own spaces. So that's what I'm saying. It's a very complex thing. But all in all, I, me personally, I stand with Ukraine because I don't believe anybody should just... Sovereignty belongs to the people. The people of Ukraine, whether you feel they should not have been a country or not, they are a country. And they belong to Ukraine. And nobody has the right to come and want to destroy a country simply because people want to rule themselves. Everybody has the right to rule themselves. So that's, that's my personal opinion. And of course in Namibia, we, the government is led by people, some of whom um, had close ties with uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, they come from that era. So there is that um, nostalgia, there is that you know, remembrance of those days. They want to hold on to it, of those days of the Soviet Union. But some of us who are students of politics, we remind them. Because there is this stupid talk of, oh, Russia stood with us during the day of the liberation struggle. Some of us are asking, okay, if Russia stood with you, where was Ukraine? Because Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union as well. Then they also stood with you. 
So why don't you stand with them in this moment of really, really being subjected to an aggression? So it is a, it is a matter that has divided society, but I, under no circumstance, I don't excuse aggression at all. Yeah, absolutely, I don't. And uh, so even though I don't, I don't agree with what I also see as the aggression of the Western countries, especially this expansion of NATO towards, you know, the East, which is really now on the, if had Ukraine joined, which increasingly it looks like it is going to join anyway at whatever time, it's going to be right on the border of Russia. I don't think it's a very smart thing, you know, to threaten somebody into feeling very insecure and that they must then start acting irrationally. That said, any aggression, the idea, I mean, they are bombing Kiev. The idea of bombing the capital, organizing sham referendums in the areas of Donetsk and and Langhans or whatever, I can't even pronounce those, but I follow this war very keenly. First, it started with Crimea, you know? So, I I don't know. I I don't support that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Might cost me your sympathy, but I don't support that. I don't support anybody going into any country. Look, Namibia, I told you, over Heroland and Namaland, these were sovereign these were sovereign countries before the Germans came. We never agreed to the redrawing of our borders, but they were redrawn, and we have accepted that. Even now, in our quest for self-representation and all the things, nobody is questioning the integrity or you know, the, the idea that Namibia is a country. We are saying the way we are administering that maybe needs to be changed. Maybe we are not very happy with the unitary system. Maybe we want the federation so that different people can also, you know, have a say in their own development in the different spaces where they live. But we are not, we are not really questioning the indivisibility of Namibia as a state. We have accepted that we are a state. So I, I am taken aback but that in the... 21st century, there are still people who are calling for a return to, to, to borders of 100 years or whatever years, because apparently these people were the same. For me, that's just preposterous. It's crazy, you know. I don't support that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was The Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m.